thank you, Lester Knight, for helping me with the liturgy this morning. It was a beautiful prayer. We have appreciated the assistance of various lay people while Katie's on sabbatical. So thank you, Lester. This is Transfiguration Sunday. This is the Sunday we celebrate that uh, little hike that Jesus made up to the Mount of Transfiguration with his three best friends, Peter, James, and John. And we also have a Hebrew psalm as our scripture lesson this morning, so Psalm 29, and then the transfiguration story from the gospel according to St. Mark. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of God's name. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over mighty waters. The voice of Yahweh is powerful. The voice of Yahweh is full of majesty. The voice of Yahweh breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. The voice of Yahweh flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord causes the oaks to whirl and strips the forest bare. And in God's temple, all say glory. And then the story of the transfiguration. Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up to a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter did not know what to say, for he was terrified. Then a cloud overwhelmed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, only Jesus. Thanks be to God for God's holy word in the Christian and the Hebrew scriptures. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this is Transfiguration Sunday, which means next Sunday is the first Sunday in Lent, which means that we're at the end of our season of Epiphany and the end of our sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. Today we're looking at the concluding doxology, which follows the six simple petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. During this sermon series, I've been trying to guess with you where Jesus came up with his images and the vocabulary of his prayer. You know, probably the most important book in Jesus' spiritual existence was the Hebrew Psalter. It's that book that would have shaped his character and molded his soul and equipped him with the metaphors and the vocabulary that he taught his disciples to pray with. For instance, when he was growing up in the countryside of rural Palestine, Jesus' mama would have taught him to pray songs like Psalm 29. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of Yahweh is full of majesty. The voice of Yahweh flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of Yahweh causes the oaks to whirl and strips the forests bare. In God's temple, all say glory. 
In a short canticle of nine verses, words like power and glory and strength and majesty appear eight times over and over again so that we'll get the point. The psalmist piles up the metaphors to describe the terrifying, muscular, even destructive immensity of the deity. God is a cyclone leveling the canopy. God is a typhoon causing the oceans to seethe. God is a forest fire laying waste to the landscape. God is a volcano hurling molten rock a thousand feet into the air. In God's temple, all say glory. The power and the glory, the perfect doxology, which Jesus borrowed for his little prayer. Now, Anne Lamott says there are only three really good prayers. Help me, help me, help me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And wow, which is just Miss Lamott's clipped rendition of the concluding doxology of the Lord's Prayer. Now, no one seems to know where the English word wow comes from, though it may be of Scottish origin. Bobby Burns was one of its early users. And so, wow is a Presbyterian word. Not that solid, stolid Presbyterians necessarily use that word very much. Still, they invented it. Miss Lamott says, wow means that we are not dulled to wonder. Wow means that we are almost speechless, but not quite. We can manage barely this one syllable. There are lowercase wows, like when a child executes a perfect dive at the town swimming pool, or when you come upon a blanket of poppies that emerged in a field that was destroyed by a grass fire last summer. There are lowercase wows and uppercase wows, Yosemite, fireworks, watching a litter of puppies be born at the neighbor's house when you are six. She says that wow comes from awe. Wow and awe, she says, are phonetic sisters. They are exactly the same length and width, all W's and short vowels. They could dance together. Yes, they could dance together, and they do. So you're not dulled to wonder, are you? You say wow every now and then. If your friend invites you to take a short hike up the side of a nearby mountain, you'll say yes, won't you? It's less than 2,000 feet high. It'll take you a couple of hours. And when you get to the mountaintop, your friend's face might shine like the stars and his clothes will be as if rinsed with an otherworldly bleach. And you will see him as he truly is in his essence, perhaps for the first time, a precious treasure. The summit will be bathed in brilliance and you may meet the towering heroes of legend and lore, Moses and Elijah, the two greatest prophets who have come down from on high to stamp their imprimatur on Jesus' inimitable life. So guard the wonder in your heart of hearts. Always take that unnecessary walk to the high place the topographically high place or the spiritually high place. You know, people who live 30 minutes from the Grand Canyon never visit the rim. Because they always can, they never do. When I was a child, my family would drive three and a half hours from Grand Rapids to experience the wonders of this fair city. We came to visit the topographically high places like the John Hancock Building and the Water Tower 
and the Wrigley Building. And we also came to experience the spiritually high places like the Art Institute and the Field and the Shed and the Museum of Science and Industry. We came to be enlightened. We came to be changed. Dare I say it, we came to be transfigured. And so guard the wonder in your heart of hearts. John Claypool was an Episcopal priest in the American South. He served several parishes across Kentucky, Alabama, Tennessee. He's one of the greatest American preachers of the late 20th century. John Claypool would always say things like this. He would say, life is gift and birth windfall, and just to be here at all is sheer, blind, unmerited privilege. So Dr. Claypool would tell a story about a family from Texas who had four wonderful children, each beautifully cherished and loved in their own way. And then they discovered that a fifth child was on the way and they were excited and delighted and it turned out to be a girl and she was absolutely beautiful, but she was born with no arms or legs. Doctors couldn't explain it. But this is one of those families that ask not why us, but why not us? What can we do to make something good from this challenging situation? And so one springtime, her older brother came home from university at Easter break, and he took his roommate with him. And Dr. Claypool points out that this roommate was a sophomore, which means that that year he knew more than he ever would before and since. And also he was a philosophy major, which means that sometimes he looked at the world with jaded and analytical eyes. And so before he returned to university at the end of the weekend, he'd spend all weekend watching this young woman negotiate her challenging existence. And before he returned to university, he said to her, what keeps you from exploding in rage at whatever kind of God would let you be born with this handicap? And she looked him in the eye and she said, you know, I know what I have doesn't look like much compared to other people but I've been able to see because of my wonderful family. I've seen the beauties of nature and the wonders of the world. Because of my family, I've been able to hear the world's most magnificent music. I can taste, I can smell, I can feel. And what I have might not look like much compared to what other people have, but compared to never getting to live at all, I wouldn't have missed being born for anything Life is gift and birth windfall, and just to be here at all is sheer, blind, unmerited privilege. And so that's why we pray the way we do. We start with holy and we end with glory. Holy be thy name is how we begin. Thine is the glory is how we conclude. And so our prayer is bookended with doxology. Holy at the beginning, glory at the end. Our prayers are bookended with, our lives are bookended with doxology, circumscribed with praise, edged, bounded, enveloped with worship. In God's temple, all say glory. In God's forests, all say glory. Always and everywhere, God's people say, glory, glory, hallelujah, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.